every practice in the, in the world, the dental practice in the world, has some form of digital technology in their practice today. We began that revolution. How we did that? We had a committed team. At the end of the day, it's all about the team. Our number one asset is our team, and the team were committed to it. We got it done. Welcome to the Strategy and Leadership Podcast, the podcast that brings you practical advice, lessons, and stories from senior leaders and thought leaders from around the world. The Strategy and Leadership Podcast is brought to you by SME Strategy, working with organizations around the world to create and implement their strategic plans. To learn more, visit smestrategy.net. And now, your host, Anthony Taylor. Hey there, folks. Welcome to today's episode of the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Stanley Bergman, who is the chairman of the board and CEO at Henry Shun. Stanley, how are you today? Good, Anthony. Thank you for hosting me on your program. I'm looking forward to this. I'm so excited. Uh, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about who you are, about Henry Shine, and uh, we'll go from there. Yeah, Anthony. Henry Shine is the largest provider of products and related services to office-based healthcare practitioners. We have about a million customers around the world. That's about a million and a half dentists and physicians who buy their products and services from us throughout the world. And essentially, it's consumable products, equipment, software, financial services, pharmaceuticals, anything that a dentist or practitioner may need in their practice. And if you go into a dental practice, you look around, the chances are you'll see Henry Schein product in that practice. Excellent. And how long have you been uh, with the company for? I've been with the company for 44 years. That's awesome. And so being such an impactful business, being with the organization for so long. Maybe you tell me, how did you get started with Henry Shai? How did you get involved? And we'll, we'll go from there, start at the top. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm an accountant by background. And 44 years ago, this was a client of mine. And 42 years ago, I joined the company as the first CFO of the company. And my job was to put in a computer system. <laughs> that was uh, the rest is history. Today, we're the most automated company in our field. We drive digital dentistry. We drive all aspects of the healthcare profession using technology. And that started uh, 44 years ago. That's awesome. So if we think of that 44-year trajectory, you know, summarized in a few sentences, what, what has that been like for like the ebbs and flows just internally, ebbs and flows with the economy and the market? Can you give us a, a quick synopsis of what that's been like? Yeah, well, we started out actually as the first company to offer a complete list of dental products. In other words, whatever dentists may need. And we priced those products. And if you ordered them from us, we delivered them. So we were like a kind of an Amazon 40 plus years ago for dental products. And from there, we took the company to adding different kinds of equipment, entering the medical space, going abroad, adding software, adding various services that we offer to help run the practice, and a whole bunch of activities that help dentists and physicians operate a more efficient practice so that they can provide better clinical care. You can imagine that was we went from... I thought there was $40 million in sales when I joined the company formally in 1980, and we're going to do somewhere around $12.5 billion this year. You can imagine it didn't go as a straight line. There were ups and downs. The world's economy had some challenges along the way. Not every system got installed. Not every customer loved what we did. 
ups and downs. And I'd be happy to share some of those lessons. Absolutely. Well, what I find fascinating just in the in the brief time we've been together is like you're so laser focused on not only the value that you deliver for the customer, even 40 years ago, and then the focus on the customer. I say, this is who we're serving and everything we do is to add value to them. Do I have that perspective? Absolutely. Right? Uh, it's all about helping the practitioner operate a more efficient business practice because we're in the free market so that they can provide the best clinical care. And in order to do that, we have to delight our customers with the experience. And that's what it's all about. Awesome. One of the un other undertones was innovation, but you, you said it fairly matter-of-factly. You know, was it 20 years ago when you installed that computer system where people just saying, yep, let's jump onto this computer thing and let's jump onto this direct delivery thing. What was the kind of path that you had to go through and are probably still going through as you look at implementing those innovations and exploring innovations as you focus on that value stream? Well, I'm glad you mentioned innovation because, Anthony, most people think innovation takes place in a lab. In other words, in a chemical situation, you are making a drug, you put a little bit of this, a little bit of that, come up with a new drug, uh, you come up with a new technology. With us, innovation is really in helping our customers succeed in their practice. And we're always coming up with new ideas to help our customers really drive efficiency in their practice so that they can provide better clinical care. That's the innovation we bring to the marketplace. For example, we went to the dentist in 1980, 1990 and said, you need to put a PC in your practice. The dentist used PCs at home for playing you know, games with their oh, kids. Oh, a PC computer, like a personal computer. Yeah. Okay. Uh, they used it to play games with their kids or they used it as a word processor. We said you can use the PC, practice the uh, personal computer in your practice to drive efficiency in the practice. And you know what? You can even put up an electronic medical record. That was highly innovative. Mm. It wasn't traditional technology innovation, but it was using the tools of technology to improve how healthcare is delivered. And as we say, helping health happen. Yeah. Some from a practical standpoint, we think about like communication, we think about change management. Obviously, you have that commitment to, to your mission and purpose within that. Behind the scenes, what was it like trying to convince people to get a computer into their businesses? Were they adoptive of it? Were they resistant? What are some of those conversations you might have had to have with your team to help make that transition happen? Oh, it was like a fish out of water. I mean, the competitors laughed at us. One uh, competitor that was the biggest player at the time said, we're like a three-legged ostrich. You know, we have consumable products, we have equipment, but you're going to introduce software into dental practices? That's ridiculous. That comes from software companies. Anyway, the software is not the kind of thing that dentists are going to actually use in their practice. We always tease, uh, uh, joke a little bit, and we say that, you know, that's some three-legged ostrich because every practice in the, in the world, the dental practice in the world, has some form of digital technology in their practice today. We began that revolution. How we did that? We had a committed team. At the end of the day, it's all about the team. Our number one asset is our team, and the team were committed to it. We got it done. Yeah. It's one of the things that you, you mentioned Amazon earlier and one of their big like kind of breakthrough because um, innovation obviously doesn't happen instantly. It's over time. One of their breakthrough things was AWS. They brought AWS in and it created this whole revenue, ridiculous amount of revenue for the company through that innovation. It sounds like your three-legged ostrich, that third leg probably created 
part of that 40 to one point, whatever billion in revenue, because it was such a sizable innovation within your business or were there and, or were there other big innovations that led to that successful growth? Of course, that was one innovation, but I'll tell you another innovation that is so simple and obvious today, but in the eighties was not important. The way dental products were sold in the eighties and even into the nineties was you had little distributors throughout the world and they would have everything in the back office. And they would send out salespeople to collect the orders. We said, you know what? We're going to set up five in the United States, giant distribution services systems, uh, so we can deliver product next day. That was unheard of. And then we said, you know what? If you have an order, call a central telecenter to take your order. And you know what? You can even place an order to collect those orders. And we revolutionized the way distribution was distributed. Then we said, you know what? doesn't only have to apply to the U.S. Let's take this concept global. And we did that. Then we added the software, and then we added all sorts of services to it. And basically, the revolution was adding incremental ideas to help the practitioner operate a more efficient business. And today, we even manufacture our own specialty products. For example, a dental implant. We make them. The bone regeneration that goes into uh, uh, after a tooth is extracted, we make that stuff, or we package that stuff. So the whole idea of one-stop shop for everything a dentist or physician may need, that was innovation. That was revolutionary. All simple. Each one was just a little bit of an add-on. But you add it together, there's no one in the world that has done what we've done. Yeah, I think that's really cool. And again, for like our listeners, you know, obviously as a facilitator of strategic planning, that alignment with the vision and mission is critical. And it's really like, well, why do we have to focus on the mission? Like, why do we do that stuff? It's like a buzzword or a marketing thing. It's like, no, because when you're so clear on what you're delivering, then it helps you say, hey, is this going to add value to our customer or not? If it's not going to add value, don't do it. And sometimes they're big and sometimes they're small. And Stanley, it sounds like that again, hyper focus on it incrementally and transformationally added the massive value and the service to your people. So let's maybe switch gears a little bit. I see that you've got an extensive bookshelf behind you, which I assert means it's contributed to that 43 years, 44 years of leadership. What are some of those uh, you know, leadership principles? What are some of those guiding ethoses that you would want to share with our young leaders listening so that they can um, you know, support a company into you know, the next years of success? Well, the books you see behind and my library is all about uh, history and biography. So uh, I, I love to study what people have done in the past and apply it to the future. Hmm. Uh, I'm not a big fan of reading leadership books because I think at the end of the day, leadership is about common sense. It's about engaging the team. And if you can create an, uh, an authentic relationship with a team of, uh, of outstanding people that are, are committed to what we call uh, doing well by doing good at Shine, but we're very committed to advancing the needs of society while committing, uh, while advancing our business. You can get that kind of commitment from a team. You can do anything you want because you're trusted. So, but you're asking now another, what, what are some of the big lessons? And uh, for me, I would say a top lesson is being flexible, nimble, and innovative. We've discussed that. You come from Vancouver. I, I don't want to mention a person that may upset you, but there's a, a, a hockey player, Wayne Gretzky, I think. He didn't play for any of the Canadian teams, is my understanding. Uh, he, he, Edmonton Oilers, he won several uh, Stanley Cups with them. But go on. Yes, exactly. And Wayne said, go. I, you know, I grew up in South Africa. We didn't do much hockey there, uh, ice hockey, certainly not. But he said, figure out where the puck is going 
and that's where you should go. And I think that's what it's all about. You, you've got to be flexible. You've got to figure out where the puck is going and, and try to get there. Mm. And that's, to me, the top uh, lesson. But also, I would say, as we said early on, uh, get everybody enga- engaged. You know, to me, the most successful leaders are the ones that actually could run a great summer camp. Can they get everyone to play in the game? To me, that's really critical. And there's no room in the world any longer for bosses. It's about coaches, facilitators, and mentors, and a lot of celebrating of achievements. Because in order to get things done, you have to make a lot of mistakes. Mm. And then you celebrate the achievements. Absolutely. I'll take opportunity to shout out one of my friends and clients, Paul Tamburello from uh, Little Man Ice Cream in Colorado. He is the exact definition of the person that could run a great summer camp. So Paul, if you're listening, I hope you're doing excellent. I really haven't heard that. I'd love to speak to Paul because uh, I've, I've got all my skills at summer camp. Oh, cool. Yeah, he used to lead, yeah, he used to lead camps and, and do a lot of missionary work. So he's a cool guy. But it's interesting that you had said, hey, I, you know, I don't learn from well, from those typical books is why we say, hey, don't interview consultants most of the time. But I can see on your back end, Winston Churchill and uh, Nelson Mandela and what I find and Wayne Gretzky. So th- three great leaders. But it, uh, it, and, about. And, and, and where, where is she now? Eleanor Roosevelt. Oh, I don't think her book's up today. Oh, you got uh, no. But, I looked, you got Abe Lincoln. You're like, you got no share well, of. Uh, Abe Lincoln, I'm sorry you're Canadian, but Abe Lincoln was important in the United States and Mandela was important in the country I came from. But Eleanor Roosevelt's important too. Absolutely. Well, I, I couldn't read all of the, I was trying, but I couldn't read all of the, the sides of the book. But what I find interesting is you use the Wayne Gretzky analogy about, about going where the puck is. And then at the same time, you said from a leadership perspective, not just moving people forward, being flexible, nimble, innovative, and celeb- celebrating those wins, but advancing society. And arguably all of the leaders, or I'm sure you've learned from many, but the four that we just discussed, not including Wayne Gretzky, uh, they all advance society. And I think that that's what the opportunity that leaders have now is not just to do good business because anybody can make money, I believe. It's, hey, how can you make a difference in the lives of people and the well-being of people in the betterment of the planet and just be good? And so I'm excited for that. I think our listeners resonate with that. I know I certainly do. And uh, on that note, I'm just grateful to have you in a conversation here. So we said celebrate the wins, learn from the mistakes. So Stanley, what are some lessons that you learned potentially the hard way that stuck with you said, well, I'll never do that again. And if you've got a story or anecdote without, uh, you know, putting yourself too far out there, I'd love to hear it. Well, to me, there are two big overriding uh, lessons that I learned the hard way. One is you have to tolerate risk and not easy. You know, you have to give young people a chance to fail. And so long as they don't fail too often, you just got to stand back and let people fail because at the end of the day, it's through failure and learning and experimenting that you advance any cause. And that's particularly important now on the, if you want to do business on the internet, for example, you know, you've got to be prepared to test and test and test and test. And it's very hard to absorb the losses. Um, but you have to be able to to, to do that. Uh, I think that's uh, a critical challenge to advancing any cause, the ability to tolerate risk, ambiguity, and fail. And the second is, to me, I, I suppose the biggest challenges I've had is when you see a great manager who knows the strategy perfectly and knows what to do, but doesn't share the values of the company. 
to move quickly on moving that manager out, even though it may cause a huge cost, short term, but long term, it's the right thing to do. So tolerating risk, tolerating mistakes, and making decisions on management that doesn't share values are two things that are very hard, but are critical to focus on. Absolutely. And I can definitely see the tie in with the two. So one, you know, you can't innovate without failing because it's a prerequisite. So being willing to go through that process and suffer some air quotes losses, you know, learning to say, hey, how can we do this better? And I think, again, as as you had mentioned, the, the moving society, advancing society forward, if you don't have the same values then you don't have the same drivers and motivators. And so it's impossible to create a company as successful and as impactful as yours without values alignment. So listeners, as you're going through your strategic planning offsite, you know, don't skip out on that because it's the building blocks for everything. And, 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 you know, grateful Stanley for you to share that perspective, like lived in action. Since you talk about shared values, the company is global. What's it been like operating in 30 countries and having to adapt like that one mission, that one mindset has it been easy. Has it been challenging lessons, uh, anything you can share from leading a global company? Yeah. Well, everybody wants the same, right? Everybody wants to advance their career, put food on the table for their kids, quality of life. Everybody wants to make a little bit of a difference in the world if they can. Mm. And our job as a company is to give our team the platform to advance the needs of society. Everyone wants to participate. You know, we're a particularly advantageous position from that point of view because we're servicing healthcare. Who doesn't want to help people that are sick? So everybody has this in common. Of course, there are particular needs in particular countries because of cultural differences. And one has to be respectful of the the differences in cultural needs. But the, the desire to be successful and to advance the needs of one's family and help society in general are overriding. And there is opportunity to be forgiveness, to provide forgiveness for people that don't quite appreciate maybe the societal differences. And we come from the United States. We have very clear views on the way the world should be run. And, you know, there is forgiveness if we come across very strong, so long as people believe in that we support the common values that are outlined, which is to have a decent living of society in general. So the values are there, and there is forgiveness on the, there's a tolerance for ambiguity on misunderstanding or misalignment in cultures and language gaps. But it is important though to understand these various cultures to be successful internationally. Yeah, and I hear that the tolerance and forgiveness is again going back to that risk tolerance and the ambiguity is it's a, it's a learning and that the key part is that you're willing to progress for it forwards within it versus it being entrenched in your in your rightness or correctness about your way is the way to go. So I think that's a great, even in a similar culture in the United States, which is a melting pot, of course, dealing with other managers who have different perspectives, you know, the successful uh, managers get it. But, but you, you have to be trusted. Mm-hmm. There has to be authenticity and people have to believe that you have common values. I mean, Today in the United States, I don't know, it's not quite as bad in Canada, but the country is divided on it's practically any issue you raise. And it's very hard for anyone to thread the needle these days. Having said that, if people believe that your values are good, 
they'll forgive if you're on one side of the equation or another that they may not agree with. Yeah, absolutely. So as we finish up here, is there an organization mission-based, like not Henry Shine, but like a mission-based organization that you'd like to give some awareness to? I just give you an opportunity. Most high-profile people are are involved in, in great organizations. So is there an organization that's close to your heart that you'd like to you know give a shout out to and bring awareness to today before we finish? That's the most difficult question to answer because I have so many. Shoot, but, I'll give you uh, a couple if you want. Yeah, I mean, organizations that in the end provide vehicles for education are really important for disadvantaged people. So I would say supporting the major academic institutions that provide access to to education and then uh, if it happens to be in the medical area, to care in general. I think those are very, very important. But there's also organizations that serve the needs of those that are challenged. So for example, there's an organization called Physicians for Human Rights. They take care of physicians that are going into areas where governments don't want them, but taking care of people's lives, which, uh, uh, you know, they take their critical oath and they're committed to saving lives, although people may be uh, in in disagreement on the political issues. I I think they do very, very good work. So overall, I would say educational institutions, uh, of course, uh, serving the under, helping to, to support those that are serving unpopular, if you will, healthcare Causes in particularly challenged regions are important. I also think the arts are important. I'm very active at the Metropolitan Opera in New York, uh, so you've got to balance that too. But educational institutions, access to care, there are so many organizations uh, that uh, are doing good work in that area. Awesome. Well, I appreciate that. I, I find that there are so many great organizations that do well, and a lot of times you just don't hear about them, but they're, they're you know close to people's hearts. So I do try to you know provide a, I'm a, a big platform. Fan of- I'm a big fan of smaller organizations too. People close to, you know, for example, in this current crisis in Ukraine with the refugees, there are organizations in Ukraine, but there are organizations on the borders where all the refugees are coming, doing phenomenal work. The big ones, the UNICEFs of this world, et cetera, they do phenomenal work. They get some government funding. But these little guys who are grassroots helping families that are just crossing the border from Ukraine into Poland or to Romania or something like that, these people are doing great work and need uh, the support of society. Awesome. Thank you, Stanley. I appreciate that. Uh, where can people learn more about Henry Schein? Where can they learn more about you? Where can they connect? And if you have any uh, you know, parting words of wisdom for us today. Yeah, uh, our website provides information, I'm sure. And Marie from our communications department heads up a big chunk of our uh, communications would be happy to communicate that, but Henry Shine website is there. You know, for those that are listening and have vision and are worried about implementing their vision, I, I would just leave them with, you know, this neon light that is in my mind every day. And that comes from uh, Nelson Mandela, who once said, It always seems impossible until it's done. Awesome. Thank you, Stanley. It's been such a pleasure. I really appreciate the time today. Uh, A lot of things to take away. A lot of years of learning condensed into 30 minutes. I so appreciate uh, you being on our podcast today. Thank you, Anthony. It was great. Folks, my guest, Stanley Bergman, who is the chair of the board and CEO of Henry Schein. So much wisdom here. I really think that as to be a leader, 
not only looking forward for your business uh, or your organization, but really being a benefit to society. As uh, Uncle Ben once said, with great power comes great responsibility. So I encourage you to uh, use the response to your ability to move it forward in the right way. So appreciate you watching, appreciate you listening. Would love some comments and feedback on what you took away from today's episode. Thank you again, Stanley, for being our guest today. My name is Anthony Taylor. This has been the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. I appreciate you for watching. I appreciate you for listening. I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. We post twice a week, so you can count on us for your weekly source of content to help you grow and expand as a leader. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please consider giving us a review. We read every single one, and it helps us make a better show for you, the listener. Also, it helps more people find the show, which means we can help as many people as possible. We appreciate you listening and following along, and we hope you have a wonderful rest of the day. And as Anthony says, until next time.